The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome to part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics. Our panel of uh, political pundits uh, today include our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. Longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And joining our roundtable regulars this week, and always a pleasure when uh, he can spend time with us, is uh, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. Hey, Wood, welcome back. Thank you. Bipartisan legislation that would make the names of state lawmakers involved in sexual harassment settlement agreements public was introduced in the Michigan House this week. House Bill 4920, sponsored by Wayland Republican Representative Steve Johnson and Hamtramck Democrat Abraham Iash, uh, would require the state, House, and Senate to make available upon request the amount paid in a sexual harassment settlement claim and the name of the lawmaker involved, barring any court order to the contrary. The legislation only applies to claims in which a financial settlement has been reached, Johnson said. He said he's been interested in the issue since hearing of incidents in which members of Congress, including former Michigan U.S. Representative John Conyers, had reached secretive settlement agreements after being accused of sexual harassment. Both lawmakers said they thought the matter was an issue of good government and transparency for public officials. If taxpayer dollars are being spent to settle legitimate sexual harassment claims against a lawmaker, that information should be public knowledge. Do you think this information should be made public, and is it likely to pass in the Senate? 
Hmm. Or even the house. Well, it's probably not likely to pass. Yeah. I, I, uh, my only question was, were, were taxpayer dollars involved in those things or were those individual funds? I wasn't quite sure about that. Well, that's, that's where it gets uh, kind of funny. It says both lawmakers said they thought the matter was an issue of good government transparency for public officials if taxpayer dollars are being spent to settle legitimate mm. sexual harassment claims. Um, so, you know, my, my guess is they're, um, and, and I don't know, this might be another case where it's a solution to problem. Yeah, maybe that's it, I don't know, yeah. Hmm. Well, I you know, it, it's, it's one of those um, items where I think on the face of it, it sounds like a, a, a good idea, uh, you know, because I don't think anybody on this panel would dare uh, say that we support, you know, allowing someone that's sexually harassing an employee or another or a colleague or whatever the case may be, whether it's the legislature or, or any other public body. Uh, but because of how things get settled and, and the like, uh, you know, this could be a slippery slope where someone settles something to to get it out of the way, and it really isn't what it what it uh, was alleged to be. So I I, I just I, I do believe that that there is um, something to be done in this area, but I, I'm just not uh, not sure exactly what the bill uh, you know is totally. And you know, after after hearing the uh, complaints about Mayor Cuomo of New York, <clears throat> and usually I'm uh, on the opposite side all the time, but he doesn't seem to be too worried about that. He doesn't. He says he didn't do all of that. Everybody who points fingers at him says he did. That's the thing. And, uh, when when Wood calls this a slippery slope, I, I, I think that's a, a fair assessment because there can be cases where no harassment was intended, but yet it was felt. And we tend to want to believe people when they say, you know, they they felt harassed. You know, they, but that's subjective. It is subjective, yeah. and that's yeah, that's yeah, Wood's you know, point. Yeah, joke or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's and that's Wood's <clears throat> point that you know <clears throat> uh, something like this being made public could be very damaging to a career, and and maybe unnecessarily. Now, if there's a pattern of behavior, and you find there are lots and lots of settlements, those those things will come out. Well, and I'm not a fan of uh, Cuomo either, but uh, but I just want to know justice should be justice. Justice to a Democrat is also justice to a Republican, and I don't look at that as uh, something that's partial and political and yeah. stuff like that. It's got to be the truth, and it's got to have evidence, and, and, and anybody can go out and claim anything that anybody um, has to make here in the United States under our constitutional laws. But uh, there are some things that we need to do more um, investigation of. Any damage a man's career or a woman's career? Okay, go ahead. I'm all done. 
Ted, how much you said when you first read that? There was some phrase you had about that it would make made public, barring some legal provision, or I'm not sure what the phrasing was, but it sounded like if there was a confidentiality arrangement, that there were things would not be released. Which is something that happens in the court settlement itself, <coughs> and what they're saying oh, yes. okay. is that this okay. law yeah, would not circumvent. Uh, that. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's yeah. after yeah. the after act. The after act has already been executed. Now you have some evidence, you have proof, you have all things fit in place. Yeah, I could buy that. Well, President Joe Biden on Wednesday urged Congress to take immediate action on gun legislation in the wake of a shooting in San Jose, California that killed eight people earlier in the day, noting that he was ordering the flag lowered to half staff just weeks after other mass shootings around the country. Enough, Biden said in a statement. Once again, I urge Congress to take immediate action and heed the call of the American people, including the vast majority of gun owners, to help end this epidemic of gun violence in America. Will anything come out of those remarks? Mm, I'm very cynical about that. I've, I've heard this so many times. Um, and, it, and it's embarrassing to admit that there has been another mass shooting since I prepared these notes. Yeah, I mean, it's almost <laughs> a daily event. It's like the weather report. This is a, it, Paul, always sends me, Paul always sends me an email the day before Armchair Politics with a few bullet points, and he always ends it with, and whatever else happens in the next 24 hours. <laughs> and, it's, and there's always something. That's true. But in terms of mass shootings, it's almost a daily affair. There was a cartoon in the paper the other day uh, showing a, a, a calendar of, of the first five, five, six months of uh, of 2021, and in, in, in almost every day there was some kind of a mass shooting. I mean, a few days were missed here and there, but it's just it's a it's a root it's getting to a routine kind of thing. Unfortunately, yeah, and there, the, the 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 real unfortunate part in terms of solution is that this is one of those deals where it, it, you know it's like a the old uh, grease pig kind of analogy where for uh, democrats and republicans uh, even republicans who believe that there you know there are some uh uh common grounds to trying to find some solution for the proliferation of of guns um in our society but no one wants to you know, step out there because they're they're gonna, you know, the the big elephant in the room right now is Trump. If anybody steps out there and dare say anything that he uh, takes as a shot at the Second Amendment, what happens to him? No, I don't believe it's that bad. People don't. You guys put too much out there. <clears throat> there is a Republican Party, and there are people who are loyal to the Republican Party. Yeah, but within, but within the party, party now, there, Henry, the, the problem that we have is not with the stalwart Republicans that have been around for, you know, decades. It's the ones that are loyal to Donald Trump that but seem to be But you can't condemn all of the Republicans for that either. It's a system. That system will be here long after the people who, um, who follow Donald Trump and who follow... Uh, uh, the if, Trump, uh, if 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 Donald Trump and some of his supporters don't drag them down, yeah, right, right. 
you know, one other thought on the gun issue is I wonder will the bankruptcy of the NRA have any any effect on this if they if they begin to fade a little bit from the scene? I'm not sure they will, but if they do, will that have some effect on this possible? Uh, maybe, but I, even then, I'm cynical about it. Yeah, and and uh, you know, and I don't want you guys to think that I'm I'm uh, abandoning Trump either. Uh, but there are some things I use as common sense, and some things I believe, and some things that the rest of you believe or ought to believe that no one person drives humanity. No one person, not even Jesus, he didn't drive humanity. We people were on his net all the time. Go ahead, uh-huh. I can't help but say this because I, you know, if I didn't say it, I'd get off of the program yeah. and I'd be, you know, just worn out for the rest of the day. I, I, I've said it a <laughs> uh, hundred times before. The Republican Party doesn't exist anymore. It is now the, the mm-hmm. Trump cult. It is not a, it's not a party. It's not a cult. And I know you disagree with that, Henry, but it's a fact. And it's not what Drew Stanley okay. saying. It's not what Drew Stanley saying. You gotta have two sides to every issue, Woodrow. It is written about hundreds of times every day and proven. It is not a party. It is a cult. Okay. One man. It it would be great. It would be great if it was the Republican Party of old. uh, You know, in terms of having a platform and and going through the motions that political parties go through. But this is this is. I mean, you see it right before your eyes. Disagree with Donald Trump and what happened? Well, not all people. You guys, well, and the point that I I think would that the the point that Henry tries to make is that there there are Republicans who aren't brainwashed by Donald Trump, and we've seen some of them actually leave the party, Um, and then there are some others that are trying to repair the party from within. And Liz Cheney comes to mind. You may not agree yeah. with all of her policies, yeah. but you can't help but respect her. Well, Meyer from Michigan. I mean, I'll give him some credit. Yeah, too, yeah. That's right. Now, those, yeah. those guys that say a Mitch McConnell, who who does a great impersonation of a pretzel, uh, when he says <laughs> one thing. <laughs> yes. You know, when he says one thing, and then he, I mean, you know, which he says something, and it just, makes such sense. And then he gets pressure, and he says something totally contradictory to what he said. So, I mean, you know, I... I anyway, I... Well, I, I, I believe that Mitch McConnell has a constituent. Guys, I still think that Mitch McConnell, like everybody else, has a constituency. And he has to kind of uh, recognize that constituency is there. And he has to meet some of their needs, their expectations. Right. Well, and right. so he's not going to answer to you directly, Woodley, Wood, Woodrow. He is not going to answer to me or anybody on this panel. He's going to use the best of his judgment well, I don't even to think, keep things lined up. I don't, I don't even think uh, Senator McConnell um, responds to his constituency if he doesn't want to. But we're going to pick this up and talk about it some more after we take a short break. If you're listening to us on WFOV, our voices radio, 92.1 LPFM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in and do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us 
at TomSumnerProgram.com. We have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. 
She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley. Senate Republicans blocked a bill on Friday to create an independent inquiry to investigate the deadly January 6th Capitol Hill riot. The vote on the January 6th commission was 54 to 35, showing the bill had a bipartisan majority of support with six Republicans voting with Democrats. However, the bill needed 60 votes to advance. Nine Republican senators and two Democrats didn't vote on the January 6th commission. Um, and, and I won't list list them all, but Roy Blunt was uh, one of the Republicans. Uh, uh, Kristen um, Sinema of uh, Arizona was one of the Democrats. Um, what does it mean when approximately 20% of the GOP senators duck a vote? It's serious. Well, they don't want the background. Very serious. Well, no, it's serious because they're looking at what, how they represent, and what's important. Well, how to compromise and when to compromise, and how to use the compromise, which Americans have gotten to how do. Nothing can be all one way, and it shouldn't be. And I'll fight against it if it were all one way. So. This is what I believe Republicans and Democrats who change their perspectives in these order, they've discovered something that the others have not discovered. And those are the people that should be there to lead uh, the American people. Yeah, that was a surprising number of folks who, who bailed out on that one. I mean, I mean the, the outcome wasn't shocking to be... Yeah, honest, but the fact that so many of them chose not to vote was was mildly surprising. Well, and we brought this up a little bit earlier uh, because of one of the quotes. Um, can the House go it alone on this? They shouldn't, even if they could. It's not a good thing. I think they can. I think they can. I mean, it's everything they I've can. Heard, they, can. they can. They can. Yeah, yeah they, they can go that. Committee. And yeah, I think, as know. I said, it's going to be more partisan than it would have been otherwise. I, I think. And the country would uh, be worse off. If they did it, <laughs> the, you know, we, we have to somehow bring the country back to a census. Everybody is mad. Everybody is moving off in their own directions. The, the country, the life of the country is, is, is now limited to so many years ahead. And most people believe that. Most people, foreign and local, even I do. I believe that there's a limited lifestyle that's specified by how we run our government today. Wood, what were you starting to say? I, I, I think the, the House Republicans, well, both the House Republicans and, and the Senate, uh, the uh, House uh, uh, Dems and the Senate uh, Dems, both wanted a bipartisan commission. They couldn't negotiate um, a deal. And so now they plan the hand that they were dealt. They have to, yeah. politically, they have to do this. They, they're, they're, they, are, they are doing what real public servants 
are supposed to do, which is serve as the trustee of the public welfare. The public welfare was briefed on January 6th. And, and by the way, excuse me for a second. By the way, <coughs> I haven't held public office for a long time. I just believe I can, I can really go for a person that votes uh, no and, and that doesn't um, side with, you know, my position. But a person who doesn't vote, I think is a coward. I think they're cowards. And, I, you know, I think, and they should, there should be a special place in political hell that is very reserved for them. You, you know, be man or woman enough to vote your position and defend it. But be intelligent enough to know when you can't, you can't do it all by yourself. And this is not all about you. It's about others. It's about the American people. Well, I nobody was, is perfect. I was just going to interject that Republicans uh, are not the only ones who, who know how to duck a vote. Texas Democrats on Monday cheered their derailment of a restrictive voting bill while warning of the continued threat of the legislation that Texas Governor Greg Abbott has promised to bring back during a planned special session. Democrats walked off the state house floor late Sunday night, leaving majority Republicans without the quorum they needed to approve the bill before a midnight deadline. This effectively killed the bill for this year's legislative session. But Abbott has already tweeted that he is adding election integrity to a list of topics lawmakers will address in that special session. Is this bill dead or can Texas uh, Republicans resurrect it? Mm. You know they're going to re resurrect it, you know. <laughs> It's it. You know it's going to be back. Yeah, I thought Paul might have something to say here, but we uh, lost him temporarily. I'm trying to reconnect right now um, oh, and okay. get him back in on the conversation. Um, hello, Paul. <laughs> Thought I, him again. I, I thought I had him. I heard the ring. <laughs> uh, hey, there he is. Stand by, Paul. Are you with us now, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know what happened there. All yep. of a sudden just well, welcome to live radio, folks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Welcome back, Paul. Good, good to be back. Okay, so let's get back to this. Uh, we were talking about the uh, Texas Democrats... Uh, walking out on uh, what they consider a restrictive voting bill uh, presented by uh, Texas uh, Republican legislators, uh, something that uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has promised to bring back during a planned special section, uh, session. And the question was, is this bill dead or can Texas Republicans resurrect it? Wood thinks they, that they're going to bring it back. Well, that's my guess, too. I, I, yeah, I, I, that would have been my guess. Yeah. It's going to come back. And uh, I, I don't know what the partisan balance is in the, in the legislature in Texas right now, but I was, uh, I, I'm assuming Republicans have the majority, so I would, I would guess they're going to bring it back. Uh, and Republicans, uh, you guys, <clears throat> as much as I uh, would uh, like for people to misinterpret me on this one, 
But I've been watching the president of the United States, whether he's capable of compromising with the Republicans, and whether he works toward uh, trying to get a a consensus vote. And you know, I think he has. Sometimes he runs off politically, but I think, by and large, he tries to meet the expectation of the people of the United States, not just the Democrats, but the Re- but the people of the United States. And I congratulate him. And every time I get a chance, I will register a compliment to him uh, for doing so. And and I think Wood kind of alluded to, to something uh, that I was about to suggest with regard to Biden. And that is, um, you know, sometimes the Democrats are forced to act a certain way and i think the president has found himself in that position because it takes two to tango you know you can you can offer bipartisanship but if the other party doesn't take you up on it then you go it alone right right yes and that's but that's, and that's what he's done for too long yeah I mean. now guys when the president comes to that point he's justified in doing what he needs to do but he comes back and he says, guys, before I, I thought about this a long time and I thought it through and I considered you guys and so on and so forth. So I want you to join me here at making that appeal. And, 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 I, and I, even I going so far, Henry, as to say, and I'm willing to consider yeah. changes to what I propose. Yes. What? And I like that. I like that. And then uh, Republicans will have to break down and then think this through themselves because they have a constituency out there that say, get this bill done, get get something done about that. But that's but where Congress just, becomes, you know, kind of, uh, kind of the enemy of the White House sometimes because you have situations where uh, Mitch McConnell and and uh, Nancy Pelosi is just as guilty of this um, as as Mitch McConnell is in the Senate. Is but they didn't buy, the Congress didn't bother President Trump saying no for no sake. <laughs> hey, by, by the way, have you noticed that the the, the term uh, bipartisanship is only in one party's lexicon? Have you noticed that? that, is, that <laughs> It's true. If one party uses the term uh, bipartisanship, that you know they're put in timeout, uh, they're given penalties. It, 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 this is not. Those of us on this panel remember a time when both parties used. The, as a matter of fact, the, the the statesmen in both parties used the term bipartisanship. John McCain is a great example of that, Wood. Right. It's only used by one party uh, in in this era. Only one party. Well, there was a time when you had liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats, uh, and the the ideology overlapped in both parties. That has not been true for a long time. Well, and the leadership was different. That's, uh, That's also true, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but we got to get back to the point where we can compromise, because that's how <clears throat> the government survives. That's how any government survives. Now we we agree we agree on that, Henry. But now that's another term. 
you tried using that term in public. Now, you know, but I do. I do. <laughs> okay. I just all, used all right. it. Well, get elected to Congress and see how long... I don't want to be elected to Congress. Why don't you try telling some of the folks that you influence that you want the term compromise and bipartisanship uttered multiple times during sessions of... Well, then I can do that. People with respect and people who the public holds... Um, their feet to the fire for good policy policy pursuits will do right. that. Yeah, right. I think that I think that uh, Joe Biden is trying to do that. But you you're condemning the process. What about and people who condemn the process will never allow the process to work. Mitch uh, McConnell may be in the same boat. He is in the same boat. But you still have to try. That's what the American system of government is all about. Mm. No matter how many obstacles are there, you still have to try. Nobody said uh, uh, working uh, for a good public policy in a republic or a democracy is easy. It would be easy in a totalitarian government because all you do, you make the rules and, uh, and there no, there's no opposition. But in a republic like ours, or a democracy, uh, it's, it's more testy. We have to go through it. Who are the champions, who are the, champ the Republican champions for bipartisan, um, bipartisanship in the Congress now? Now, you studied that more than I do. No, I, no, no. I'm sorry, I don't know I'm that. Tra I'm trying to think of the, of the guy's name. You know the Republicans name. better um, than I do, so who are the Republicans? Who are the, Joe Biden is certainly uh, a great champion of bipartisanship, but who are the, who are the big champions, the Republicans, now? Uh, well, we, we, uh, I, I don't know that. I don't study them. I just study the people well, whose actions who? show. Hang on. I study the people whose actions demonstrate uh, bipartisanship. They don't have to be, but they, the actions demonstrate it. Behind well, their backs or behind their back, they could be going the other way. I don't know. Paul, who was the Republican we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago who had uh, gone on CNN and called for a reform of the Republican Party. What, what was his... Uh, I'm, tr I'm trying well, to remember he his name. No, I think, you don't mean Meyer from Michigan. No, he wasn't no. the one. No, he, no, wasn't, he wasn't the one. one. But I think this one was from Utah, wasn't he? Uh, no, from so. Illinois. Is that what it was? Yeah, you, yeah there, you know? there was a guy from okay. Illinois. That's right. That's yeah, right. That's, okay. that's who I'm thinking uh, of. Yeah. Um, the problem is the the qualification that you set um, would by saying who are the big Republican <laughs> people because you know I would think Mitt Romney might might be pushed onto that list. Um, yeah, he was. Liz Cheney possibly the yes. the guy from yes. Illinois whose name escapes me right now. Um, I I can look back a few years and 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 see other examples in the history of the Republican Party, but the ones today, the question is how how big are they? Yeah, you know, yeah. how much influence do they a... have over you know what we've been calling Trump's Republicans? Oh, his name is Ron Kinzinger. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Paul. Just looked it up here as I was sitting here. Yeah. 
See, I think he's a great example. And and the yeah. guy who um who got primaried uh down in Texas or or uh, Arizona um who started early on being sort of uh That's right. a critic of uh, Donald Trump's and and he basically got squashed. Yeah, you know, uh Tom, the reason I make a big issue of this if we can't work through our process designed by the people, the founders and the Constitution enumerated, uh, what is the benefit of living, living in a republic rather than a uh, more fascist type of government? I mean, uh, if we're going to live that, we're going to act like fascists but, uh, and not deliberate like Democrats or Democrats. You know... People in a democracy. One slight hope I have for for maybe some bipartisanship in the future is that if we get our handle on this whole redistricting process and gerrymandering, where we have more competitive districts, it you may see at least a few more Republicans and Democrats who are willing to work across party lines. Because now you got so many one party districts that there's no reason. If you're an elected official. There's no reason to. Well, you and, know and that's unfortunate. Primary. And, and, and it's actually having a negative impact on both parties because they tend to be led from the extreme. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. They're led from the extreme uh, rather than through a centrist government that acts instead for the well, people. Before, before we get too close to the, uh, to the break in the final segment of today's show, I want to make sure and bring this one up. This year marks the 100th anniversary of a race massacre in the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, which encompassed more than 35 city blocks of entirely black-owned businesses, a beacon for African Americans looking to escape the discrimination and violence of the Jim Crow South and live a peaceful and safe life. The district was founded by black men and women, many of whom were descendants of slaves, and became known as Black Wall Street. And on May 31, 1921, racial tensions and violence with the neighboring white residents in Tulsa boiled over in a massacre. Hundreds of Greenwood's black residents were killed and the district was left in ashes. President Biden went to Tulsa uh, yesterday in honor of this uh, centennial. But why is it important to remember historical horrors like this? Well, can I say that this? You know, 25 years ago, we had a black history event in, in Clio. It was the best, the largest that had ever been come with five, four Supreme Court justices, the governor's uh, uh, personal education, and many of the black leaders around the country, including Woodrow Standy. And Art Bush presented that story to the people of Kyle at that time about the massacre. And, and, and as I think through this, that was the time of Woodrow Wilson, who had thrown all of the blacks out of the White House. And the, the presidential, that whole thing was entangled. It was not something that just spontaneously occurred in one, one, in one part of the community. That was, that was a big thing. And then Margaret Sanger, who had <clears throat> decided to design a plan 
to uh, make women sterile and stuff like that. Uh, and yet, this was swept under the rug, including the persons uh, in the White House had had always talked about uh, how good their um, the FBI and and public relations people were and know, letting the president know everything that was going on in the country. But it took 77 years for people of this country to come to grips with that. That's sad. And everybody knew it. No, I and think black honestly, you, you got to be yeah. honest about the And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Tom, because you helped to relieve tension. You can't keep that under the rug forever. Black people will learn to respect and admire people like who come to grips with issues like that. That was devastating. Any one of us could have been killed or our parents if we had been in the same situation. So I I appreciate you bringing that forth. Alexander uh, Hinton was on the show yesterday. He um, is UNESCO's uh, chair on genocide prevention, and he's written a book called it could happen or it can happen here and in his book and he was as i say he was on the show yesterday you can find it in the archive it was during the uh, 10 o'clock hour so if you go to the tom sumner program website um and uh go to uh the show archive you can scroll down through it and and find uh, yesterday at 10 o'clock the the interview and in it, in his book, he argues that not only ha- is genocide possible, um, to, that it can happen here, but it has and does. And he puts uh, actions like the uh, Tulsa massacre in a long line of um, events that you know, include things like the the January 6th insurrection in um, Charlottesville and and several others, some that go back to the days of the the writing of the Constitution, some that go back even further than that, back to 1619. And he talks about white power and and, and responsibility uh, for these things and and how important it is for people we think of as as white people, um, Western Europeans, whatever you want to call us, that that we acknowledge that this exists and it's not just um, something that pops up in individual instances that we talk about and they go away until the next one. Um, yeah. That it's it's a pattern of behavior that's as old as the country itself and something that we really need to come to terms with. And so I, I, I guess I'm answering my own question when I say that's why it's important to remember historical horrors like the Tulsa Massacre. And on that note... Um, because we could do we could do a whole show on this, so I, I, I'm going to cut it off there, and we'll go to break and come back with the X Files. But I didn't want to go through the show without mentioning that event. Anyway, Thank you, Tom. we are going to take a short break, and uh, we will 
return with my favorite part of the show, the coveted X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that uh, (laughs) seem hard to believe, and yet they're true. But we are first going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back for my favorite segment of the show, The Coveted X-Files, where we talk about some of those weird and wacky stories that seem uh, almost impossible to believe. A uh, Massachusetts woman who accidentally tossed out a $1 million lottery ticket eventually collected her winnings thanks to the kindness and honesty of the owners of the store where she bought it. Lee Rose Fiega bought the uh, $30 Diamond Millions scratch-off ticket in March at the Lucky Stop convenience store in Southwick, near where she works. I was in a hurry on lunch break and just scratched it real quick and looked at it, and it didn't look like a winner, so I handed it over to them to throw away, she said Monday. The ticket lay behind the counter for 10 days. One evening, I was going through the tickets from the trash and found out that she didn't scratch the number. Abhi Shah, the son of the store's owners, told WWLP-TV, I scratched the number and it was $1 million underneath the ticket. Viega is a regular customer, so the family knew immediately who had discarded it. Shaw went to see Viega at work. She said, he came to my office and said, my mom and dad would like to see you. I said, I'm working, and he said, no, you have to come over. <laughs> so, I, so, so I went over there, and that's when they told me. I was in total belief or disbelief. I cried. I hugged them. Fiega said, overcoming a near-fatal bout, bout with COVID-19 in January was like winning the lottery, so she feels doubly fortunate. I mean, who does that? They're great people. I am beyond blessed, she said. The store gets a $10,000 bonus from the State Lottery Commission for selling the winning ticket. Viega said she gave the family an additional reward. She's saving the rest for retirement. How do you survive COVID-19 and <laughs> win a million dollars and not quit your job? <laughs> yeah. But she's wise. She doesn't let money uh, change her. Too well, uh, ridiculous. And it 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 just gives me a tremendous amount of uh, just good feeling that the store owners were that honest. Wow. Yeah, it's really rem- remarkable. It's and and worthy of mention, I think. And, yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah. as extraordinary as it is, it's uh, nice to see there are people that are willing to go to that length to be honest. Um, Good story. 
Duke the 70-pound Labrador took an impromptu flight this week when a dust devil whipped him up into the air in Wires Cave, Virginia. The pooch was lifted up, spun around, and then dumped back down on the ground. Luckily, he was unhurt. He just kind of looked around and was shaken for a minute, but, you know, he went right back to playing with the kids after that. He's been coined Duke the Flying Dog at our house. The kids joke about him buying a cape. Uh, but I'm okay if he never takes flight again. The National Weather Service confirmed it was most likely a dust devil that lifted Duke into the air. It defines the weather event as a small rapidly rotating wind that is made visible by the dust, dirt, or debris it picks up. Also called a whirlwind, it develops best on clear, dry, hot afternoons. Have you ever seen a flying dog? <laughs> Not recently. Yeah. No. I, uh, what was the name of the dog uh, in the airplane during its first world war? Snoopy. Snoopy. Oh, Snoopy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Snoopy. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I love that dog. Well, here's here's one from Florida. Jake, an eight-month-old Labrador retriever, came perilously close to becoming an alligator's lunch when he was dragged into a pond uh, in Holiday, Florida on Tuesday. The puppy entered into a terrifying death roll with the reptile, estimated seven to nine feet long. But Jake's owner, Mike McCoy, clearly a Florida man, dived into the water <laughs> and wrestled with the gator to save the day. I got around, thumbed, thumbed him in the eye, picked him out of the water so he couldn't get anywhere until he let the dog go, McCoy told ABC Action News. The alligator bit McCoy, but both McCoy and Jake needed stitches but weren't seriously injured. He's on the mend, McCoy said of his pup. Would you wrestle with an alligator to rescue a puppy? Mm. Hmm. Um, apparently some people will when they feel yeah. very close to that puppy. Yeah, and Give because at that moment you don't know what you're doing. Nature takes over. I think I would have written the lead to that story a little differently. <laughs> I think I would have said a Florida man wrestled a puppy or wrestled a, yeah. an alligator to save a puppy. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Only that story. I like that story. Yeah, I do, I do too. I, the links yeah. that, that some people will go to to do the right thing is uh, encouraging. I think a little bit. It yeah. shows the grace in humanity uh, at times when you least expected it. There is something good about humanity. Well, there's two two good stories back to back there, Tom. Yeah. Well, I, 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 every once in a while. It uh, it's it's nice to share something that's that's a little bit upbeat. It's it's fun to talk about the weird and wacky stuff, you know, the flying saucers and you know weird obelisks that show up in you know the middle of nowhere and all that kind of stuff. But the 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 real human, the real humanity in those couple of stories uh, is a little bit inspiring. Anyway, we have about. Uh, three minutes left and and I could squeeze in another one but I thought I'd, I'd open it up to see if anybody has any uh, any final comments and I, and I do want to um, uh, squeeze in a little tease for tomorrow's show if everything works out right this afternoon 
Uh, my guest tomorrow will be uh, the author of one of my favorite quotes of all time and a new book called The Division of Light and Power. He was a two-time candidate for president, former Cleveland mayor, and Ohio Congressman Dennis Kucinich. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Will, yeah. will be on yeah. the show yeah. in the uh, opening hour tomorrow. And do you remember the quote, uh, Paul, that, that's my, what, my favorite quote from a ah. presidential debate? Dennis Kucinich, he was being being challenged for having been recalled as mayor. Ah, yes, I remember that. And he said, I am the only one on this stage (laughs) that's willing to lose his job to do what's right. That's right. Oh, That's I love that. Yeah. And I thought it was one of the most powerful things I've ever heard anyone say in a presidential That's, That really is a very, yeah. very, very significant quote. It uh, mm-hmm. says an awful lot about him. Anyway. I recall when he was, in, he was campaigning for president once, and he showed up in Flint here for a rally, uh, whatever year that was. Uh, 2008, I think? Probably. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, as much as I, I, I can... I can, from now on, since we talked about a compromise and we talked about what government ought to be like in this country, including all the people on this panel, including what some people do all the time. We see them on TV when they're trying to uh, encourage compromise, like this changing and stuff like that, and, and like uh, Joe Biden in certain cases. I will register a uh, compliment to a person that I best know uh, that is... Um, good for doing that. And I, today I'm going to start off with um, my friend, my colleague on this panel, Paul Rizicki. Paul Rizicki, I think, uh, best represents for the moment for me. And there are others that I can think of uh, who uh, say uh, believe in compromise and try to promote it. Well, I, I, I appreciate, Henry. Thank you. I appreciate yes. everyone on this panel, Henry, uh, starting with you. And, uh, and and we're really fortunate to have this good a panel with Paul Rosicki. Uh, well, we, I mentioned Henry Hatter first. And then Paul Rosicki. And I, I always say when you want to know what a filibuster is, you ask Paul Rosicki. But if you want to know... <laughs> When you want, if you want to know when to use it, you ask Woodrow Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. good way to put it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, anyway, I want to say thanks to all of you for participating in uh, Armchair Politics. You make it what it is. Thank you. It's always a lot of fun. It really is. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Wood. It's been great. Thank you, Henry Thank you. and Wood. Well, take yes, care, sir. everybody. Enjoy it. There's Smoke and George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I will be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And as I mentioned, scheduled for the first hour, uh, former presidential candidate, Cleveland mayor, and uh, Ohio congressman Dennis Kucinich talking about his new book, The Division of Light and Power. has some interesting stuff in it. Anyway, we... Uh, We will wrap it up for now, but uh, thanks for tuning in, and good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.